Please be seated. Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain. He was no lover of organized religion. And I think that he loved public prayer even less than he loved organized religion. And if you, uh, I reread a, a story by him recently that I, I had read when I was a junior in high school called War Prayer. And in this story, um, a nameless country, uh, presumably the United States, is stealing itself for war with an opponent. And on Sunday morning, uh, the minister in the church service that's full of all the soldiers, many of the soldiers that are going off to war, um, preaches a fiery sermon in favor of their battle and the war that they are about to wage. And he prays the long prayer, as Twain says. And during this prayer, he urges God to assist their efforts in victory against their opponents. And the prayer even ends with the preacher praying, Bless our arms. Grant us the victory, O Lord and God, Father and Protector of our land and flag. But then, as he ends the prayer, a stranger with a long white robe and a long white beard and long white hair uh, a messenger from God, or, or maybe maybe God. But anyway, someone who looks a lot like uh, popular conceptions of God might be a lot of times, sort of floats up to the podium next to the preacher. And he begins warning the preacher in the congregation, if you would beseech such a blessing upon yourself, beware, lest without intent you invoke a curse upon your neighbor at the same time. And he then says, the stranger says, that if, if that congregation prays victory in their public prayer, they must also pray, For our sakes who, Lord, blast their hopes, blight their lives, protract their bitter pilgrimage, make heavy their steps, water their way with tears, and stain the white snow with the blood of their their opponent's wounded feet. Twain takes a bitter and satiric jab at how easy it had become in some quarters for public prayer to become an instrument of ambition and nationalism and violence and a false kind of piety. And yet the story ends with Twain remarking, it was believed afterward that this man was a lunatic because there was no sense in what he said. And you know, Jesus probably uh, cast a similar mood upon his listeners when he spoke out um, against the Pharisees of his day and when he shared with them his perception that their prayers were a kind of aggression. Because see, public prayer was everything in the system that these people lived in. Uh, their prayer life centered on this place that they thought that was, this, was the center of the universe itself, the temple. Their righteousness, their salvation, their communicating with God and asking God 
for blessing or for help was totally located in something external. Public prayer back in Jesus' day was often, if not usually, about separating who was in and who was out and what was holy and what was profane. And you know, it's, it's kind of a joke we all play on ourselves on Ash Wednesday because we get to play around with this kind of hypocrisy, don't we? That Jesus talks about because we do exactly what He says not to do, don't we? We smear ashes on our head, on our face, for everyone to see. And I like to think that most of us here have the best of intentions in this particular public demonstration of prayer and piety. But then we're, we're chastened a bit because Jesus then warns us of a really hard truth that even the most beautiful prayers, when done aloud and in public, can run the danger of being exclusionary and chauvinistic and even tools that will enforce our agenda instead of God's. Now, we're all good Episcopalians, so we don't really cotton to public prayer, at least not extemporaneously, do we? I mean, some of us will before a meal, right? I love to mess with y'all when I'm standing around a table with someone and, and, and particularly my family, and they remember that I'm the minister in the room, and so they ask me to say the blessing. And if it's in my brother-in-law's house or in a friend's house, I look at him and I say, it's your house, dude. And you know, uh, if, if you guys don't have one of the standard ones that we learn memorized, and you don't have the benefit of a child that's in a, a religious preschool who's learned a blessing, you get this wonderful deer-in-the-headlights look. And you know, usually I'll relent and say the prayer. It's a nice short one, though. Lord, bless it and put it to work. Amen. But you know, I'm really uncomfortable with, uh, believe it or not, I'm uncomfortable, uh, as some of you are sometimes, with public prayer on occasion. And I think some of that comes from my story. Um, when I was in college, um, now understand, back then I would listen to The Cure a lot, and I wore a lot of black clothes, and I liked to talk about Nietzsche and Heidegger a lot, even though I didn't really know much about them. And so I'd sit with my friends, and there were these folks who would come in with their lunch trays, and they wouldn't just pray for their food. They would sit the trays down, and they'd kind of hunch over them and close their eyes for at least a good minute so everyone saw them. And usually they sat in the middle of the cafeteria. And it was sweet. The ones that were dating would reach across and hold hands, probably the only time they ever got to hold hands and pray. And I always used to wonder, because I grew up in a Baptist church, and I really knew my Bible, I used to wonder if they had just forgotten about or, or cut out this section of Matthew in their Bibles. Because this too seemed a lot like what Jesus was saying not to do. I mean, maybe they had the best of intentions, but there was an element of this, I felt like, where they were saying, you know, we're, we're in, and you pagans over there talking about punk rock or not. I mean, why didn't they just pray over their food while they were walking to the table? We had to know that they were these spiritual types, is the best I could reason. 
And I get all hostile towards them, which, which wasn't right. And I get judgmental about them judging me for not blessing my food, even though most of them probably didn't pay me any attention. And, you know, I, I was even uh, sometimes being one of those rebel-without-a-clue types a lot of college boys are. I talk really loudly to my friends to try to bother them. And so whatever their intent, those of us who are engaged in the kind of skepticism that college students get when they take their first world religion class or philosophy class, um, for, to us it was kind of obnoxious, I guess. We were obnoxious too, though, bless our hearts. And you know, this kind of thing still happens, though. Um, a few years ago, a coach, I think it was here in Georgia, he got into some trouble because he was leading pre-game prayers, and he was praying Christian prayers with his students, and some parents or some students complained about this. And I think they were kids who were not Christian, and, and several parachurch organizations that were in that school and several of the surrounding churches um, staged a protest, a sort of civil di- disobedience by saying, we're all going to walk out on that field and we're going to pray together. And I'm sure they meant well. But you know, those prayers wound up being an act of aggression and ex- exclusion against all of the others in their school. Because there were Muslim kids and Hindu kids and Sikh kids and Buddhist kids and even atheists and agnostics and skeptics in their school. And as I read the article, I remember wondering, why not just let the kids pray while they're putting on their equipment and warming up, right? Why not let them pray while they're running back kickoffs or or tackling people? I mean, these public prayers that they were going to do out on the field were not about uniting people under uh, the peace of Christ and the blessing of God. They were not about an end to division and strife. They were about division. And see, this is the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about because Jesus knew that public prayer is complicated and fraught with a lot of dangers and that public prayer ought to be done with a lot of consideration and questioning and skepticism about the motives of the person who is praying. Public prayer ought never be taken lightly because Jesus knew that And he also urged private prayer because he realized that for his people, urging them to private prayer might even free them from some of those dangers. And this was radical stuff, friends. That God herself hears the prayers of regular folks that they say in their houses by themselves sometimes. People who don't even understand all the bells and whistles of the religion of the day. Radical stuff that people can go into a room and just tell God what they want or what they need. See, Jesus knew this, and I think over Lent we get a chance to to live into this as well, that, that in private we get to lay up our treasures in heaven because our prayers, our prayers will always have a good chance, if not a 100% chance of God finding us See, in private prayer, our prayers can even lose the patina of aggression and division that public prayers have. Our prayers in private, even if they are uh, anger, 
even if they're angry towards other people or even angry towards God sometimes, even when they're laments, read the Psalms, folks. Even if they're a little unhinged and misguided, like a lot of those prayers are, these prayers can still be about who we really are because these prayers are just about our opening up ourselves to God and opening ourselves up to the possibility of God's love being united with us within whatever state that we're in. You know, angry private prayers, when done in private, also have a little little safety valve because public prayers, you know, uh, unhinged and angry ones, when they're done, and if we just mix in a little bit of human brokenness to them, those kind of public prayers can be about something terrible, can't they? But see, in private, we give God room uh, to hear the hurt behind our lament and for us to hear the hurt behind our lament. God room to hear the joy behind our gratitude for, for whatever we are grateful for. And we can even give God room to hear the prayers behind our silence. See, there's even more grace in what Jesus is teaching us about praying in private because then prayer, and this is especially good for we uh, Episcopalian types, prayer is not about getting it right in public, but about intimacy with God. You know, writer Rob Bell uh, points out something in in a video that, that I watched on YouTube recently in a sermon he says that, that breath is prayer. Because the name that we use for God, the abbreviation for God when we transliterate it, is Yahweh. Breath itself. God's name is breath, folks. So even in our silence, in private, even in our breathing, we say, we pray the name of God. Our prayers even in our silence and just our breath, is beyond words. Filled with needs that we can't describe. Plump with gratitude, sometimes too intense for human sounds. Our prayers in private can be lined with our hopes and our pains. And as my favorite public prayer in the prayer book says, the thoughts of our hearts. But you know, we're common prayer Christians, so we make a big deal out of public prayer together, out of the book of common prayer. But you know, I'll say this about the book of common prayer. Whatever it does during the service, and however hypocritical we might be some Sundays when we're not quite into it, or maybe when we come in a little angry at our spouse or a friend, maybe we come in with a great deal of skepticism, but we just came along with someone to be a friend. At the very end, they do, as an act of prayer, force us to turn the right way, which is that way, towards the door. And we even have someone uh, from the clergy, the deacon, tell us all to go in peace, to love and serve the Lord. So at the very least... After all that prayer, whatever the level of sincerity, we have to get out of here and put ourselves back towards the lifelong task 
of selflessness and integrity and mercy and hope and love. And then as we go, we are reminded, even as we go, that we are equipped with the capacity and the gift of prayer that can happen anytime and anywhere. Prayer that can happen even just as we breathe. And that Jesus says, God, who, who hears us in private, will reward us, will hear us, will always find us, and will always treasure us. Amen.